Um, because I do what I want. Since I, I feel always very motivated and inspired to play the best tennis on the Grand Slams, particularly here. podcast episode 10 Wimbledon women's championship is complete we got the men's tomorrow we have the Gostad 250 kicking off which we will not be talking about before you tune out don't worry we're not going to be talking about the ATP 250 and Gostad don't worry about that and if you're a Casper Rude fan you can tune out yeah yeah because we won't be touching on him today because we'll be touching on the championship match of the women's draw, the upcoming match, Novak Djokovic versus Nick Kyrgios, and also the Rafa Nadal situation, pulling out of Wimbledon, and also what went down in the Djokovic-Nori match. So, Drew, first of all, how's it going? Vid, it's going well. Elena Rybakina, Wimbledon champion. Wow, that was great. And honestly, what I was thinking kind of before the match and during – it was great to see a marquee matchup of two women who had been kind of contenders over the past two or three years and both looking for their first major, both players from a country that had never had a major champion before, um, you know, coming in and playing each other with so much on the line. I don't know about you, but something about these major finals, of course I'm excited to watch them, but I also feel nervous sometimes. Like, I feel nervous for them, in the first set especially. I, I can't even – I don't know. Of course I'm watching the tennis, but at the same time, it's hard to deal with what's – how much is on the line as a spectator, not even as a player. Or a play, I don't know how the players' boxes deal with it, honestly. Like, yeah. It's, like you said, it, really a marquee matchup. Both two players I wanted to personally watch, and I'm sure a lot of people wanted to see play. And – not surprised. No, I'm not surprised that I'm surprised that Rybakina won this tournament because she hadn't had a great lead up and the results weren't really uh, going her way, I guess, before Wimbledon. But in terms of her as a player, her caliber, her potential, I'm not surprised at all. We've been talking about her for about a year now, saying that she's going to break through, win a major, and it was interesting that it came at this time, but it was bound to happen. And yeah, with regards to watching the match, getting nervous, uh, for me, it's not really in the first set. It's towards the end of the match when they're closing it out, and you know one of the girls is going to become a Grand Slam champion, especially in this stage for the first time. It happens to me even when we're watching Novak Djokovic, Nadal, these 20-time Grand Slam champions. And, yeah, you really get you get, you get a, you get a jitter through the your body. The goosebumps. The goosebumps. You get goosebumps. You get a jitter through your body at the end of the match, and then – you really, you really feel happy for whoever, whoever pulls it out. Rubakina actually learned the word goosebumps after the semifinal because she was saying, I don't know, I felt this thing on my skin. I don't know how to say in English. And so she just learned, she just learned the word goosebumps. So 
that's that's good. It feels like she's going to be learning a lot lot more English words as well after that after that title. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What did you think coming into the match? Who were you expecting to win? Because the odds are pretty kind of even, you know. Well, I, I actually didn't look at the odds before before the match. What was it? Well, Ons was a slight favorite. Uh, okay, Ons was a slight favorite to win. I after watching the semifinals, I said I really thought that Elena was going to win Rubakina. I had no, honestly, no doubt in my mind that she was going to win. Even after the first set, it was a little bit concerning, but I, I figured she'd be able to come through, pull it out, and she really, really turned it around. But I was, ever since the semifinal, I was thought that she was going to win. And it was just really about handling the nerves. And it was, my, my theory uh, after the semifinal was that it was all about who's going to handle the nerves better, and I thought Elena would handle them better, and she honestly did. Um, Ons was a little bit of an emotional roller coaster, um, even at the, in the first set, second set, third set, really throughout the match, and Elena really seemed yeah. excited. I think Ons won the first set because Rybakina was a little nervous coming in, and Ons had a clear game plan in her mind. It looked like Elena was going to be just trying to play her aggressive game style, which I don't think it doesn't really work in a major final to come out and be super aggressive. I know that is her game style and you don't want to move away from that. But at the same time, if you're going to come out guns blazing in a match where there's so much tension, you're going to miss a lot. So Ons did have a strategy of just, I think, locking, going to lockdown mode right away. And, but at the same time, I could see the tension. Even after the first game that Ons won, she did like a huge fist pump. And you could see there was kind of a, a, weight, a weight on her shoulders. Um, you know, the whole being from North Africa, first Arab woman, I think that got to her a little more. Whereas I think with Rabakina, she was playing with house money a little bit. She didn't play well coming into the tournament. She was, I think, a little injured. And she even said it in her press conference. She also admitted to being nervous, which I think is, sometimes it's a good thing when you know that you're going to be nervous. And instead of trying not to be nervous or telling yourself that this is a normal match or, you know, players do that. They try to say this is just a normal match. It's not a normal match, and she's able to accept that and, and play with that, which I think was a big factor. She said before coming into the finals that she's actually enjoyed her tennis for the first time in a long time at Wimbledon because she had such low expectations of herself. Um, and we always ask, like, when can a player break through? You know, and it's, sometimes it's hard to predict because sometimes the harder you're trying, the harder it is to actually find that breakthrough. And when you can find the zen mindset is what i would say she was in the entire tournament until up till match point honestly uh she's still in it then you can break through it in my opinion for elena it started with her win against bianca andrescu i think that was the third round um both players playing incredible and it went to a tie break elena saved a few set points and just looked in control and and from that moment she looked in control even you know playing her aggressive game style uh looked in control and was not rattled by losing the first set either. Just kept her head down, didn't get emotional, and uh, did what she had to do. Yeah, she definitely didn't get it emotional. I mean, maybe she should have shown a little bit of emotion at the end, but we'll, we'll get to that later on. But I think just in terms of, like you said, you know, coming out too big in the beginning, I, I, I kind of, I don't think that she could have come out reserved. I think if she came out not kind of guns blazing, then it would have not been playing her game style, like you said. And 
completely contrasting game styles. You have Rabakina, who's a big hitter, serve plus one, and she always has to go for that. And that's what she did throughout the match, even if she was missing or if she was making the shots. And Ons, on the other hand, has uh, a, more tools to use. Right. And, and so the goal for Ons was to do everything she could to execute that game plan of bringing Elena forward to the net. And Elena's game plan was use her strengths and make sure they were working to the best of her advantage. It wasn't kind of use, it wasn't that she needed to use everything in the toolbox. It was use your strengths over and over and over again and hope you can overpower Ons, hit winners, hit big, hit aces. And Ons was just trying to use everything she could to execute the game plan. So two completely contrasting game styles. Um, yeah. That that really uh, in the end, Elena just executed a little better, and Ons was moving her forward but I don't think in the right way. And then I, I think that she, Ons got too caught up in her own game plan and started doing it too much and never did, she didn't have a plan B, you know, in my opinion. She did it in the first set, it worked really well. Then she started doing it too early. And in her mind, it looked like she panicked when Elena was coming back in the second set. And in her mind was like, if I can't beat her doing this, I don't know what I can do. Well, here, here's, I mean, yeah, exactly. She was trying to drop shot after, like the, she'd serve, Get, maybe Elena plays a return back, trying to drop shot off returns or drop shot off the second um, shot, third shot in the rally. And and I know Elena is not great at the net, but she is a professional tennis player. And if you're chipping up drop shots that are going five, four feet above, four or five feet above the net, that's just not going to really cut it uh, no matter who you're playing. And so I would have liked her in that second and third set to have seen her not necessarily hit with Elena, because Elena is much more solid off the ground, but but throw in some slices from the baseline. And I didn't see any slices in in the in the, saw, the rally. Exactly, I wanted to see slices from the baseline and see how Elena reacts to that. Then maybe once you get a short ball, then go in for a drop shot. So I think she was just. Um, I think she honestly got a little anxious. I think she just got anxious. No, yeah, she she definitely got anxious. Um, she was thirty and one after winning the first set uh, in this season. And 13 and four in deciding sets. And the one thing I'll say about the start of the second set is obviously Ons broke twice in the first set to come out to, to you know, win the second in the second set serving. But I thought that it was good for Elena because she was kind of able to just take some cuts at the ball, knowing that she didn't have to hold in the first service game. Usually we like to say you want to be serving kind of to start the set so you can be up the whole time. But she was able to break right away because she had that security of knowing that she was returning, I think. And that was, in my opinion, probably the, just the turning point in the match. It was the turning point in the match when she broke, broke there in the first game. Um, and unfortunately for Ons, it was, she wasn't able to keep it close in either the second or the third set. So even if there were some nerves for Elena, they were never, they were never able to set in because she was just winning by a lot in the second and third set. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, I saw the turning point at 2-1 in the second set, there was a game that was maybe seven, eight minutes long. And it was, Elena was serving, Ons had a bunch of break points, and Elena was able to come through that. And after that, kind of Ons got a little frustrated, showing a little too much negative emotion. And then right kind of then and there, I was like, this this could be turning for the better for Elena. And, yeah. And, and, through, through, and through that, at that point, through a set and a half, I know Elena had no aces, Ons had four. 
So it was just, it was interesting to see that stat. And it, I mean, you don't aces are not necessarily indicative of how, not always indicative of how the server serving, because they may be hitting their spots and maybe not getting aces, maybe getting easy balls off the return. But it was interesting to see, interesting to see that. Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately for Ons, she looked in the beginning like she was prepared for the moment. And slowly as the match went on, she looked like the moment was getting to her and she realized what could be slipping out of her hands and what she could be losing if, if she lost this match. And with Elena, it was the opposite. She came in, I think, a little anxious and a little nervous. She said she was nervous the whole match and just wanted to get off the court. But I think by the third set, Hans was still thinking about the occasion and being on center court at Wimbledon. And Elena was just focused on executing her game plan and, and playing a tennis match, basically. It was an occasion for Hans and it was a tennis match for Elena. And in these matches, the person who can play the most like it's a tennis match is the one that's going to come out on top. Exactly. Totally agree with that. And Elena was, she, she was just striking the ball very well, staying composed even when things didn't go her way, which was not the case for Ons. Like I said, Ons was really on a, an emotional roller coaster throughout that match. So I think that's what... Pulled, through, uh, pulled Elena through in the end, and I think it's what's going to propel her in, in the future in you know, upcoming tournaments, upcoming slams, to continue to be a contender, to become a top five, top three player, which I believe she can. So I think that's undoubtedly what happened. And also, I will say one thing that she said, I don't know if it was after her quarterfinal or semifinal uh, match, but... In the press conference, she was talking about how she, you know, hadn't had great lead up to this. She was suffering with being sick, COVID, allergies, other just health issues. And she said that her coach always used to, or still does, and tells her that, you know, you're not always going to be feeling 100%. You're going to have to find ways to win and when you're not feeling 100%. And she said that's now in this tournament kind of clicked for her, which is a really big deal for any tennis player. So the fact that she has kind of taken that and now understands how she needs to play even when she's not feeling well to get wins, win matches and wins, win matches and win tournaments is I think going to be great for her moving forward out of this. And her, her demeanor on the court you used to be, it wasn't as calm. If you watch Elena Rybakina, just this tournament or you're just being introduced to maybe women's tennis, you think, wow, this girl is really calm on the court. She doesn't have too many reactions, positive or negative. But if you watch her and you're a fan of her, you see that she used to get extremely pissed and extremely pissed at her boss, extremely pissed at herself, you know, would throw her hands up in the air. Maybe it wasn't, you know, yelling or throwing her racket, but from a mental side of the game, she, she would, she would get pissed at herself and that would affect her game, you know? Yeah, it was, yeah. She would get mad. She would have kind of the, I don't know what I'm doing. Look, exactly. Deer in the headlights. Yeah. Deer in the headlights. Look, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I here? Uh, and then she would do the kind of the same thing over and over and over again and just slam balls into the net or out because she just hits the ball so flat. And I didn't never once during in this match saw that look on her face um, of I don't know what I'm doing. So Yeah, I think if it, if it would have come out, when it would have come out was when she was up a break in the third set. She was up, I believe, 3-2. And she was serving. She made a couple bad errors. Ons hit a couple good shots. Down love 40. And I think the old Elena Rybakina, maybe the one that played Simona Halep last year at the U.S. Open, would have gotten out of her head, would have gotten pissed, maybe thrown in a double fall or thrown in an easy air. 
She locked down from Love 40 and ended up holding to go to 4-2. And at that point, I think that was curtains because when you're playing a server like Elena Rybakina and she's serving well, which she was in the third set, you might only get one or two chances to break. That 3-2, Love 40 was Anza's chance to make it a match in the third set. And Elena Rybakina locked down, and that's why she's raising the Wimbledon trophy right now. Exactly. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I mean, I think now we'll t- we should talk a bit about what this kind of means moving yeah. forward, right? Um, yeah. For, yep. for Elena, for Ons, um, is this, you know, what, what positives? I mean, definitely a lot of positives. <laughs> positives right. Ons can take from this. Also, her run on the grass, including the finals at Wimbledon, um, moving into the U.S. Open swing. And what can uh, Elena Rybakina take from this? And how is she going to handle everything? that is to come with being a Wimbledon champion. I personally think that she'll do fine and continue to, you know, win and be a threat and won't let this kind of disrupt her life too much. But uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, what do you, how, yeah, it's, it's hard to know, right? Because I think it was Chris Everett that said it after the match. Um, it does change your entire life. We saw it with Emma last year. Of course, Elena Rybakina is 23 years old, so – She's a little older, more mature, and she didn't come out of nowhere, right? She's been playing professional tennis on the tour for three plus years. Um, I think it's hard to really say how anyone's going to react, but from her demeanor, I guess, when it comes to the press conferences, interviews, and on the court, and I think how she was raised, honestly, she was talking about how, you know, her parents uh, are such a big influence on her. They, they made her, you know, study, and she has a good relationship with them. Um, I think that she will handle it really well. I think in, inexplicably she will have a dip in form. I don't think that she's going to, you know, come out and win the U.S. Open or anything like that. No, no. But I don't think it'll – I think it might affect her game a little bit, but that's normal. I don't think it'll affect her mentally where she may get more sponsorships, more endorsements, and millions and millions of more dollars in the bank. But I don't think that this is going to affect her kind of the way that it's affected Emma Raducanu from winning uh, – you know, the USO. I, I was I was wondering how long we were going to go in this podcast until Emma was mentioned. So I don't know how long. It's been, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's very similar in terms of they, look, Rebecca didn't come out of nowhere, but she came out of nowhere when, it, when you're talking about a mainstream sports uh, perspective. And they're both attractive, right? So I think that's that always helps when you're a female tennis player in terms of the endorsements that you're going to get and the attention you're going to receive after winning a Grand Slam, you know? Yeah, certainly. She's going to be like a global superstar like Emma is. Uh, and I, I, I agree with you. I think she's going to handle it well. I think she's going to be focused on tennis and also, I mean, obviously taking advantage of what comes and the fun stuff that comes with it. But I don't think she's going to be kind of go down this crazy path and not be able to find a way back because of kind of her coach, her parents, her, her team around her. I think she'll do a good job. It's not, I don't think we're going to have a, a Eugenie Bouchard uh, situation on our hands, or a Emma. I can't say anything about Emma yet. It's like Emma's young still, Emma, so she. Emma, yeah. yeah, Emma's still young. I mean, she just has had a dip in form, like you said, is expected, and just she's kind of coming to terms with the reality. But I, the one thing I'll say with relation to Emma Raducanu is that the Emma Raducanu U.S. Open win, it, it, it felt like. Like kind of like a fairy tale story right. and something that can never be repeated ever. Mm-hmm. This it doesn't it doesn't feel like that. It feels like 
someone that's been up there, like you said, competing with these girls, beating, um, you know, beating girls like uh, Halep in the past, beating girls like Pliskova in the past, having close she matches, beat Ons, you know? be- beating Ons in the past. So, so she's someone who has beaten these top girls in one-off events, but now she really strung a tournament together. Uh, and it was strung a good line of matches together with a couple big wins. So I think it's just going to be good for her confidence. I think, you know, no cons coming from this win. For her. Yeah, I think the only indicator that you get, get of that is how she's handled the whole Russia-Kazakhstan situation because these bloodthirsty journalists just continue to bring it up and ask her, you know, where she's from, does she feel like she's Russian, um, stuff like that. And you can kind of hear the condescension, I guess, in their voice when they're asking her. And she's someone who doesn't even speak English that well, and she's able to kind of bat those questions away. I remember there was one journalist that said, so just to clarify, like, are you based in Moscow? Because uh, we think that you're based in Moscow and you've lived in Moscow, so aren't you kind of a Russian? And she said, well, I think I'm based on tour. I think I'm based on tour. So, you know, that kind of, that kind of a response and just her ability to say, calm under pressure in these situations as someone who doesn't even speak English to me was very impressive. I think she's a great ambassador for the sport and she carries herself in a way that's extremely classy, um, which I think will only help her right. in the future for endorsements and, and for tennis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She's really, classy, even keep, really right? she, she's really classy, really soft spoken and, uh, but also someone who doesn't get, you know, doesn't seem like she, she can be pushed around. I was happy when she, kind of pushed back on the reporters, obviously asking stupid questions about Russia or Kazakhstan, who she plays for, et cetera. And she it was getting a lot of those questions in the semifinal press conference, or sorry, the quarterfinal press conference, got them again in the semifinal press conference. And, and she said, I think I've already answered these questions. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've already answered this. And you could, you know, she didn't, she wasn't like being, you know, mean about it, but she was being firm and saying like, I don't know why you're asking me these questions. And as they as they should. I don't know what these don't these reporters like want to ask. Like they're clearly not tennis. Like no, they're just looking for a story. They're, yeah, they're clearly not tennis journalists. That they don't realize that this is a human being you're talking to. Yeah, they don't study and analyze the game. They go in and just like try and piss the person off that they're talking to. Which why would you do that? I feel like if you were someone whose your full time job was being like a media person, wouldn't you want to have a good relationship with the players and ask them tough questions, but ask them the right questions? You can respond to you can respond to critics in a way like she does, and that actually bats them away more than being really aggressive like some people. I don't know Nick Kyrgios maybe does. You know, like for example, like the crowd today. I've never seen a more muted crowd when a player has won a tournament, and it was a little. I okay, look, it's okay to re root for Ons. I that's totally fine, but clearly they were not rooting for Rabakina. I didn't see a, the crowd explode after she won. There was a lot of claps. Maybe that did have something to do with her reaction, by the way, a little bit. But at the same time, any other player, a lot of other players would get, get pissed at it. Instead, she thanked the crowd for, for their support. So there's a way to, you know, go against people uh, in a manner that's not necessarily boisterous and aggressive. And she strikes the perfect note when she's doing that. Exactly. Couldn't agree. Now... Talking about the crowd and her reaction, what did you think about it? I really thought it was amazing that you could be that composed after winning a Wimbledon championship. It looked like she won a first round of a WTA 250, that reaction. Yeah, I think, you know, there were a lot of people on Twitter that were saying, oh, it's a little strange reaction or something like that. People were like questioning, you know, questioning um, 
her, her reaction. And we actually had a tweet that responded to um, those criticisms that got 60 likes. So I, I it was Pam wait, Schreiber. Wait, who, wait, who tweeted? You tweeted? We responded to Pam Schreiber saying, what do you think about this muted uh, celebration? And I'll just say what I tweeted from our account was, I said, I loved it. Every player has their own style and approach. Her calmness and collectiveness is what brought her to the final in the first place. So that's my opinion. Every player is different. You don't have to show some incredible emotion. And just because she said it before, just because I don't show emotion doesn't mean I don't have emotion inside me, you know? Um, in the press conference after, they were asking her, you know, how do, your, how do you think your parents feel about this? Have you been able to talk to them? And she said, no, I actually haven't been able to talk to them yet. And the reporter said, well, how, how do you think they would feel about this? And she said, I think they'd be really proud of me. And then she started kind of crying. And they said, well, I guess you guys wanted emotion, didn't you? So, you know, just because someone doesn't, you know, break down, um, it doesn't mean that they don't have emotions or that they're weird, that they're strange. It just means that they're their own person and they're going about their life in a different way, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what people want from her. I mean, she just, she just won the Wimbledon Championship. Let her do whatever the fuck she wants, right? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, yeah I mean, yeah, she comes off winning the biggest tournament of her life, the biggest tournament on the calendar for tennis. And, and people are talking it's about, fun. people are not, yeah, people are talking about her reaction when they should be talking about what she's just achieved and her game and how good she is at tennis. And, things of that nature but but that's what that's why we're here exactly. that's why we're here to bring a sense to talking about tennis i guess Lena Rubakin, i think she'll be a staple in the top five for the next 10 years 100 percent. Oh, i would love to see her playing her best tennis against ego playing her best tennis yeah that would be it almost be like it's almost like a same first agassi kind of you know a huge serve big yeah. forehand and then ego with the return the all-court game Take the surprise. I'd like to think if here's the thing with Elena, I just don't know how often she'll be able to play her best tennis. But if she is, yeah. and when she's playing her best tennis, I think she's the favorite against like almost almost everyone in the world. Um, maybe not. Maybe not Iga. Maybe not. I mean, honestly, who else? I, I think against most people, she's a favorite. Maybe. Yeah, but, but okay. Here's the here's the last thing I'll say to you because I know what you said about you don't want to come out. You want to come out aggressive if you're her. That's her game style. I do agree with that in part, but I also think she has the talent to go have big spin with big margin on her shots. So she doesn't have to be a like a fifty fifty like Russian roulette, no pun intended. If she's gonna win, if she's gonna play her best. Right, it doesn't seem like Stefano Vukov is open to that. I saw in the in the second set actually, she was actually doing some of those big margin rolling the ball. So if she just implements a, a little bit of that into her game style, she, she can be more consistent. You don't have to be 100% aggressive all the time, which is what Stefano Vukov I feel like pushes. kind of builds into her brain. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's pushing that or what, but certainly I I didn't think she just had the capability of kind of hitting those high heavy spin balls but she she does she does and so she certainly should uh try and implement that and if she can implement that she'll be a much more consistent player coupled with her power will be really unstoppable yeah so i mean she's joined the club of grand slam champions and kind of like emma radicano said like now i don't have any pressure on me even though she does i think this will be one of the people who yeah she's gonna not have any pressure on her and she has not played her best tennis until this tournament, Elena Rabakina. So I can't wait to see her. I hope she comes to D.C. I hope she doesn't fly to D.C. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, she, I, I want to see. 
I think she will because there's no points. There's no points for Wimbledon, which I guess I guess I guess works in our favor because then it's more yeah. a higher chance to come to DC just for just for some points. Oh, okay. Let's, let's talk. Should we say like Ons? What do we What do we th- think about her from this loss? Um, I thought it was a tough loss, and I think that when you do have the storyline of being the first of someone to do something, in this case, the first North African, first Arab woman to do something, it does put a lot of pressure on you. And I think she did her best to block that all out before the match and her demeanor. But at the same time, how can that not take a toll on you? You know, how can that not take a toll on you? And she's going to feel this loss, in my opinion, for a long long time, a long time, unless she can get back to a major final. Yeah, I I think this one definitely hurts. I'm going to just be, I'll just say one thing is I'm interested to see how she rebounds from this on the American swing. Yeah, uh, especially in the one thousands, and then moving into the U.S. Open. So we'll just, I'm just I'm just interested to see how she how she takes it, just in terms of her tournaments that are coming up. Yeah, I will say it was an incredible tournament uh, from her, but her her road to the finals was not even close to Elena's. Elena had to beat you know Bianca. She beat um, she beat Halep, but I think Anz's toughest match. She, the only seeded player she played was Elise Mertens. Uh, on her road to the final, so it wasn't the hardest road, you yeah, know. No. Final, but it doesn't doesn't take anything away from her. I still think that she's a contender for slams uh, in the future. But I, yeah, it's gonna. We'll see how it how it uh, how her game looks um, in the in the U.S. Open swing. I think from her her game has everything that she needs. Maybe she just needs to uh, be a little better tactically. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, certainly agree. So. I guess before we get into another big segment on Nadal, where we'll have a lot of opinions, I think we break things up. I think we yeah, break things we up with trivia now, or I think we can we get through trivia in seven minutes. Yeah, do you have a trivia? No, do you have trivia? Okay, I have a bunch of trivia and quotes. So okay, <laughs> let's okay. do trivia, quote, trivia. Okay, okay. I guess I'll just I'll just try and answer them. Okay, Nick Kyrgios, he's ranked number forty. Trivia and games. You have to introduce. Them. Yes, trivia and games. So the first uh, trivia is just trivia, multiple choice usually, and then we'll do the quote game, which is someone in the world of tennis had a quote, and Vid has to um, yes. guess who it is, and it's also multiple choice. Okay. Um, All right. Let's go with. Let's start off with the trivia. Let's start off with trivia. So Nick Kyrgios, he's ranked number forty. I don't know about that ranking in terms of his talent level, but he is ranked number forty. Um, you know, he's, uh, the first, you know, unseated player in a while to make the final of Grand Slam. When was the last time a player ranked below 40 made the Grand Slam final in men's? You could get it, but it's, it'd be tough. I could get it, but it'd be tough. Um, Who was? Was it was it Robin Soderling at the French? I'll give you one more guess. He was seated. Oh, he was seated. What was he seated? I, I don't know if he was seated, but this is like ranked below forty. He may not have been. Seated. How long ago? It was in the two thousands. Yeah, this is tough. Major final. I, I, I 
me. I don't know. Yeah, Marcos Bagdadis. He made a major final. Australian Open. How do you not remember this? You must have been too young, actually. <laughs> Maybe you were too young. <laughs> what, year, what year was it? 2006. 2006. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have been eight. Yeah, I, my, yeah, my memory's not that good. Quote game? Quote game? Yeah, let's go quote game. Okay, so someone said this quote. It's about Joker Nole. It's defending Joker Nole. Um, and it's, uh, here we go. He's not, a, not, not a lot of people defending Joker Nole. It's about, it's clear this guy's part of the Nole fam. Okay, it would annoy everyone if Djokovic breaks Federer's and Nadal's record. It pisses people off to see that he's so strong. I see Djokovic like any human being with virtues and flaws. But with Novak, all they talk about is his flaws. Here are the options. Sure, I'll just give my, my thoughts on the quote. <laughs> so true. This guy, yeah. Novak, it gets gets just gets shit on by so many people around the world for absolutely no reason and yes he's not a perfect person but no one is a perfect person so so they gotta give him a little credit where it's due um so i'll say i agree with the quote uh okay so the options are john McEnroe, jill simone daniela hentakova or victor troitsky I don't think Danielle Hundakova would say it because she's like kind of one of these people that wants to be like the tennis elite, and <laughs> and and she, I just, I think she's probably wouldn't say that because she just wants to go with what. But I don't know. At the same time, she has some hot takes. That's not a hot take though. It's a very. It's not a hot take, but in the world of it is because you can't compliment Novak Djokovic. It's a very, it's a very. Complimenting Novak Djokovic is a felony in the world of the tennis elite and the tennis media. Exactly, if you didn't know. <laughs> you can't be complimenting Novak. The, the rule is if you want to be considered in the tennis elite, just nothing. Nothing good about Novak. And if you're talking about the GOAT debate, don't even mention his name. Yeah, exactly. It's between Rafa and Federer. Uh, uh, yeah, act like he doesn't exist. Um, wait, sorry, Daniel Hansakova, Jill Simone. John McEnroe, Victor Troitsky. Um... I know Victor Troitsky, like, I think he does a lot of work with Novak, I think. Uh, so I just assume that they're, like, good buddies. But I think it might be him. Um, also, also a, a very coherent point. So uh, I, I don't think Jill Simone, like, I just don't think it's him. Just because I don't know why he'd be commenting on that and why you'd be reading a comment from him. And then who is the fourth person? I just gave him to you, man. John, John, John McEnroe. Um, I, I have probably wrong, but I'll go Victor Troiki. You are incorrect. It was Jill Simone. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, did, where did he say that? I, was gonna, was he... Uh, I don't know. He just recently said it. Um, yeah. That's a good one. I just didn't think One more trivia? We have time. Yeah, yeah. Let's do trivia. Okay, so... This was the first time anyone from Tunisia or anyone from Kazakhstan had been in a major women's final. <coughs> Russia. Right. Representing <laughs> Kazakhstan. Representing. Representing. Let me just say something. Let me just say something. I'm just so happy that she won. Yes. Uh, I'm so happy she won Wimbledon. It's such a slap in the face to these 
people that I don't know who made the decision to ban Russians, but it's the biggest. It's xenophobia. Country. It's literally xenophobia. They have no control over what their government is doing. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the question? It's xenophobia. It's okay. So can you name the top three countries in order for women's Grand Slam finals? Like like how like like the most. Yeah, exactly. The most top, top three. It's got to be America. Like, does Serena Williams count as one, or does she count for all the time? She no, plays? she counts as multiple. Okay, so Russia, the United States, and Russia, the United States, and uh... less than a minute. I don't think it's Spain. I'll just say Spain. I'll say Spain. It's uh, America's one, Australia two, Germany three. It's a Steffi Graf. Oh my god, that was just, that was just a stupid answer. That was like I didn't even think about. It. I was just dumb on my part. That was just a dumb answer on my part. I didn't even think about it. I was just throwing out. I was just throwing out countries. That was stupid. Honestly, this was this was a pretty poor. This was a poor showing for me on the trivia. It was it was bad. I wasn't. I was getting stuff wrong. I wasn't thinking through the process. I was kind of blurting out answers to be honest uh, so a little bit embarrassing so instead of we were gonna we were gonna jump to the Denal injury but since the trivia went so badly I think we're gonna do honorable mentions now uh, usually we do that at the end of the pod but we're gonna do it now and then we'll talk about about the Nadal injury and then we'll move into the Nori versus Djokovic match and then preview obviously the Kiggs Nori or sorry Kiggs um, Djokovic final but True. you want to go first? Who are your uh, honorable mentions? Where should I go first? I want to go. Yeah, you go ahead. You want to go yeah. ahead? Yeah. Oh, sure, I'll go. All right. First honorable mention uh, is Dominic Team playing in Challenger this week. Got his first win back on the tour. Dominic, let's go. So that's, that's <laughs> awesome. Awesome to see. Uh, congrats to him. I think I'd love to say we'd gonna see him doing something big at the u.s open swing but i just don't think so um but it's nice to see you gotta win my second honorable mention is someone who's actually actually in the player box of one of the wimbledon finalists today and i know drew you are wondering who is it is the kazakhstan guy oh my gosh that would have been good the president of Kazakhstan of kazakhstan tennis association was at the elena rabakina match and dress dressed to the nines. Dressed to the nines, looking good, uh, supporting Elena. But no, honestly, it could have been him. He's a good one. But I know what you're thinking. Is it Stefano Vukov? That's what you're thinking. No, it's not. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> Hell no, it's not Stefano Vukov. It is Anna Rubikina, Elena Rubikina. Oh, yes, sister. I love that one. Ele- so huh? What? She's so nervous. She was so nervous. And when, when Elena won Wimbledon, it looked like this girl won Wimbledon. It looked like this girl won the lottery. I mean, it was just... She like, did win the lottery. Yeah, I guess. Craziest reaction ever. So nervous during the first set. And she, did, she have, did she take her hands off her face that entire match? I don't know. It was it just, just... Seeing her got me more emotionally rattled about this match. I felt like I was a sibling of Rubikina, Rubikina watching this match. Um, uh, seeing, yeah. seeing her reaction throughout. So, shout out to Elena's sister, Anna Rubikina. 
Um, I don't know if she plays tennis. I don't know anything about her, obviously, but um, I don't. Do you know anything about her? Oh, but I, that kind of reminded me a little bit of Layla Fernandez's sister in the U.S. Open final a little bit. Um, yeah. Different in many ways, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but just from the perspective of your sister's playing in a big final and there's nothing you can do about it. But yeah, she looks so nervous. She also looked confused as to why Elena didn't react because they were like freaking out in the box. They were like, why is she not reacting? <laughs> you know, even though, she, even though she never does react to wins, I think they still expected her to do something, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, okay. But, yeah, no, but no, shout out Anna Ripikina, and if you want to get on the pod, feel free to reach out. Uh, have you on the podcast to talk about how you felt during that Wimbledon final? Yeah, that's a great honorable mention. I, I think that's awesome. Um, <laughs> it's awesome when they have you know the players' box and, and stuff. So uh, okay, so my one, I guess I've won tennis, and it, they're both tennis, but like one is a player, one is someone else. Um, my first one is Liv Hoved, girls Wimbledon champion from America. She's from Dallas. Came through the draw, won the Wimbledon Girls Champion, American Wimbledon Champion. So shout out, Liv. That's incredible. Hopefully you can uh, be on the tour and get to the top 10 when you uh, arrive at the tour. The one thing I will say about girls champions is there's usually a lot of girls who are 18 and under who just don't play because they're already on the tour. So I guess the, you know, she's maybe like a late developer or something. But I think she's only actually, I think, she, I don't know how old she is, but uh, I should have actually looked that up. But <laughs> Uh, so Marta is Marta Kostiak 18 could she have played I think she's 19 but uh, like Linda Fertova Brenda Fertova they didn't play um okay wait never mind she's only 16 so shout out to Liv Hove she's only 16 winning the girls women champion uh great and then my other one is just straight out of left field straight out of left field so we know we talk about the calendar a lot the WCA ATV calendar okay. if you, if you can I guess? Wait, what, what is no, 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 don't guess. You're not going to get it right. Okay. Um, if you don't know, there's actually a WTA 250 for the first time in Estonia. It's in Tallinn, Estonia at the end of uh, September. So why, are, why is this my honorable mention? That's not actually my honorable mention. My honorable mention is the tournament director of that event saying, quote, we want to become as famous as Wimbledon. That's their <laughs> for their for the for the two fifty in Tallinn, Estonia. So um, you could say that he is uh, shooting, you know, for the stars. So I appreciate that. Um, but just what a what a quote from 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 the Tallinn, Estonia. We that might actually put, the fact that that's the ambition that he has tells me that the event is going to be good. It may not be golden level, but it's going to be good. And it, I might I might even look into flying over to Estonia for that two fifty because they're firing to Wimbledon levels. That is unbelievable confidence. I should tell these the, the guys in Cleveland who do the 250, tell them they need that kind of confidence. That's, yeah, so those are that's, my two. That's amazing. What's this guy's name? Um, you know? I have to look it up. I have to look it up, but yeah, I remember, yeah, what it was. Oh I can, we, can, we can actually put, we, we'll put the link to that in the, in the description. Yes, because that, that's just hilarious. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. I, I hope it does. I hope it does. <laughs> I hope it does. I hope it does. Very, I hope it could be a fifth major, potentially. I hope it does attract, you know, top, t wait, it's a WTA event? Yeah, WTA 250. WTA 250. I hope Annette plays her home tournament. I hope, you know, Iga goes, I hope that all top 10 girls in the world are there. And I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. I hope it does. I hope it does surpass Wimbledon one day. Maybe maybe before before we die, 
I hope people. Will I will say that Annette Contest could be great for her if there's a Grand Slam on indoor hard. So. It's an indoor hard. Oh, I guess you probably have to have it indoors there because it's at the yeah. which I like yeah. gold. Um, but yeah, that's just absurd. Okay, let's let's talk about the Rafael Nadal withdrawal. We did mention on the last pod that he had an abdominal strain. His box was asking him to retire. They looked a little scared for him. It was his sister, his dad. You can imagine telling someone to retire in the middle of a Grand Slam match who's a, you know, the greatest player of all time currently. Um, obviously, something had to be wrong. It was an abdominal strain. He said in his press conference that he just simply couldn't realistically see himself winning two matches and that the tear could get much worse. You know, the first thing I'll say about this is this is, in my opinion, probably the greatest competitor in our sport. Whenever you think about the GOAT debate, uh, this guy is the greatest competitor in our sport. Joker Nolan might have something to say about that. But um, this would not – he would not be withdrawing unless he absolutely could not play and was legitimately facing – detriment to himself for his future health. So that's, uh, that, that's what I'll say about that. It was unfortunate that we weren't able to see the Kyrgios Nadal semifinal because of that whole rivalry and their history at uh, Wimbledon. But I think his goal, Nadal's goal right now is to get healthy, play the US Open. Um, and I think if he, if he played this, he thought he was not gonna be able to do that because it would be 100% assured that it would get worse. Um, yeah. I actually feel like Joker Nole had a comment about his abdominal issue, but it was a different injury that Novak had at the Australian Open in 2021. It was a different injury. But even Novak said when, with his injury, he was just drinking pain medication, popping pills nonstop just to feel like he could even go out there. So. Yeah, no, I think it was the right decision. Uh, I was honestly shocked that he continued against Fritz. Um, and completed that match and won that match. That was just remarkable uh, in and of itself. But I'm, I think it was a good decision, and I think it was the right decision, although it's I, – I mean, I don't think he would have – ideally, in an ideal world, he's not injured. We watch a one a fully fit Nick Kyrgios – or almost fully fit Nick Kyrgios versus a fully fit, almost fully fit Nadal. But I think if he is injured and you're unable to serve, you really – your chances of winning are – very low. Your chances of winning the semifinal are extremely low, even though you're off Nadal. Chances of winning the tournament are even lower. And your your chances of risking your, your body the rest of your season, the potential to compete at the U.S. Open are high. So I, I think just from looking at, at it from the Rafa Nadal camp perspective, I think it was it was probably probably the right thing to do. And Novak's not going to be in New York as it stands right now. So maybe Nadal isn't going to get the Grand Slam four in a row, but he very well could uh, win the U.S. Open, and he'll definitely obviously be a contender. It's, it's, I would say that it's always a disappointment when you lose someone to injury, when it's not another player that takes them out, especially when that person has a chance at the calendar Grand Slam, at any Grand Slam. Um, so it's unfortunate to see that quest end the way, that way. And Nadal actually said that, you know, during the match against Fritz, that was kind of what was going through his mind was the calendar grand slam. So he said, wait, he said, Nadal said it was going through his mind. When he was yes. Fritz. The, against Fritz. Right. Against Fritz. Yeah. And that's kind of why one of the reasons he, um, continued. The other thing I'll say is that 
we know that there can be toxic fan bases on Twitter. And I think you know, when it comes to the big three, let's be honest, there are uh, just, the fans are extremely polarized, you know? And when I, the other thing I don't like about in this- terms, In terms of his injury, they're polarized? No, in terms of just, I don't, there's, I don't. There's, there's the Nadal camp and the Djokovic camp are very pro their guys, very anti the other guy. Um, so there's always excuses and, and insults being thrown uh, at one another. So uh, what's going to be unfortunate is there's going to be people that say if Joker Nole wins this tournament that, well, Nadal was injured, that kind of conversation. You know, that's the other, that's the other unfortunate that's, part. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put my take here on the uh, right now about that. That's absurd. You can't say that because, because – It's not Nadal's fault. It's not Nadal's fault at all. No, it's no one's fault. But also, like, then you could – then that, that's like opening up the door to saying – uh, Australian Open, not legitimate. Joker Nole was. That's what Djokovic fans say. Unvaxxed, not oh. there. Um, yeah. Then the U.S. Open, Novak's not going to be this. Then you could just say you could end Russians not allowed to play this. You could say like we have said in the past, only legitimate slam is the French Open. So I just, I mean, you can't, you can't say that. You can, if someone's body is, that's part of, that's part of winning. Part of winning is maintaining your physical health, and he could, couldn't do that this turn. I mean, he's done a remarkable yeah. job throughout his career. But in this tournament, he wasn't able to do that. And that's the one, the one guy that the one person that I think is slamming their head against the wall now, seeing how just how bad Rafa's injury is, is Taylor Fritz. I mean, I, I don't know how he feels about his loss. I know you said you were, you know, impressed or whatever by his performance, but I think he's really going to look at this now and be like, I dropped the ball on a huge opportunity. Okay, okay. Let's just, I, I, was, I didn't say I was impressed by his performance, I said I was. Unimpre- I, I was unimpressed by Sinner and Taylor Fritz. Okay, we don't have to rehash that. I, I just want to get my point clear. My point was that I was more unimpressed with Sinner than Fritz. That's all I was that's my point. I was, I'm not impressed with the guy losing to someone who has a ripped abdominal. How is that impressive? Right. Ripped abdominal. Fritz is um, – he's still youngish, uh, 24, so – but I do think he's going to look back on his career and look back on this now and be like, oh, wow, whoops, I really fucked up, I'm, you know? Yeah, I, hopefully he can redeem himself somewhere down the line yeah. at a slam. And, and look, before we just quickly end the segment, I just want to address something that a lot of people on tennis Twitter are saying, including some former tennis players like Pam Shriver. I, don't, I haven't actually talked to you about this, but people were saying that, oh, the show must go on. We have to do... Uh, re-examine the lucky loser um, rules in tennis where someone who loses uh, could be able to advance if their opponent withdraws from the next round. And I would assume that you have the same opinion as me that just doesn't make any sense, that you can't, you should not be able to lose a match to someone and then take their place in the next round just because fans want to play tennis. That's part of our sport. Unfortunately, it's an individual sport. People are going to get injured. People are going to withdraw. doesn't mean that we need to have a freaking participation trophy, lucky loser for the main draw. Pam Shriver was advocating for, yes. like, saying Fritz should be. Yes, because Nadal can't physically play, so Fritz should advance. That's, the that is that is baloney. And also, you, you know who else? Baloney, who? Um, uh, this guy, this tennis podcast guy, David Law, or whatever. The, the, is it called, the tennis podcast? That one? The tennis podcast. The one of their one of their hosts. I mean, I, 
were they were they uh, here's my question about these the podcast the tennis podcast were they like bringing it up as a point of conversation or did this guy's legitimate was his opinion that that taylor should advance and play in the semifinals i didn't listen to the tennis podcast but i saw some i saw a tweet from from david law basically insinuating that something needs to be done about like when withdrawals happen late in, in an event or something like that. that's insane. David David Law David Law I don't know who this guy is David Law clown <laughs> yeah he he's I have a feeling that he didn't play tennis just based on the way he talks about tennis very you know but that's okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at all no no tennis background you you have to have some baseline you have to have some baseline like you have to play to have some baseline understanding of the sport or or have been around like just it's hard it's 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 hard. When there's people who like play at no level at all and then give their take sometimes, you know, it's just, it's tough. He was comparing it to lucky losers and like qualifying because they get to win, but that's not the same thing. Cause it's not like you're, it's not a direct line to where you lose to someone, you take yeah. their exact spot. It's like you're a lucky loser slotted to go somewhere in the draw. In the exactly. draw. You're randomly in the draw. Makes sense. Come I on. thought I, I just mentioned that some people are saying that, you know, come on, David. Do better. You see, they're the, they're the biggest. That's his podcast is the biggest tennis podcast. So you know. Yeah, they're. Uh, I don't know. Just I, a little... Yeah, I, I've listened to other tennis podcasts. There are some that are good. That one is like. That one's so dry and boring. It's so, it's so dry. I mean, it's so dry. They're they're like they're just talking in the same monotone voice about. It, it honestly puts me to bed. I, I was listening to it once. I fell asleep. If you want a good night lullaby for your child. Put, the, put on the tennis podcast with David Law and Catherine Whitaker, Whitaker or whatever. <laughs> yeah, your, kid, your kids will be sleeping all the time. You will be able to do whatever you want. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. So that's, that's, that's fine. Uh, yeah, we call them our competitors, right? They're our competitors, I guess you could say. Uh, I, uh, you could say that. I mean, I don't know. They're at a different caliber right now. They're, they're, they're higher than us. They're also a different category. They, they appeal to like 70-year-old retired British white women. We, were, we we have, we we appeal to the you know the young the young generation of tennis fans. Yes, and we would like to give a shout out to our fans as usual. Forgot to do that in the beginning of the pod, but appreciate it. We've gotten you know the most downloads so far uh, on our last episode. So you know, leave us a comment, leave us a review on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us. It really helps us out. Um, and obviously, drop us any suggestions at uh, Twitter. Love means nothing podcast. Love means zero pod. And uh, Instagram love means zero pod. It really does help us out. Yeah, and yeah, and the feedback. What you like? Like we said, we've said this before on episodes. What you enjoy hearing? You like the trivia? You don't like the trivia? Uh, are our segments too long? Whatever, whatever you want to say, good or bad, send it our way. But with that, let's get into talking about the Novak Nori match. Yeah. So for this match, to be honest, I was just disappointed on Friday that I wasn't going to be able to watch the you know, Kyrgios Nadal. This match wasn't really under my radar. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. I get to watch some tennis, but I wasn't really expecting it. I actually made the hype video for Novak against Kyrgios before this match even started. And that is that is disrespecting Kyrgios. Disrespect. I mean, it's, it's not disrespect. It was up to Cam Nori to prove me wrong, and he almost did in the first set. Complete and utter disrespect yeah. for, a fe- for a fellow Brit. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. New Zealander. Um, so I think Novak, maybe similar to me, looked past Nori a little bit. You never want to look past an opponent, especially when they're a top 15 player, when they're at 
their home stadium and with their home crowd. But it didn't look to me like Novak, he said he was nervous. Um, and that was the reason he lost the first set. I think it was just, he wasn't, his head wasn't in the game. And he looked like, oh, I'm just going to go out there and this guy's going to hand me the match, which obviously didn't happen in the first set. Yeah, obviously it didn't happen. Nori was going to compete. Djokovic came out nervous as he has throughout this tournament. Do you think he was nervous or he was overlooking? Um, How would he be nervous? I I don't understand that. It's all Joker Nole. I don't don't get it. I thought his nervousness. you know why he's nervous? Because he, he puts it on. I mean, I, I personally really like that he says about the whole slams. I want the most slams. But when you're saying that shit all the time, yeah, it's you're going to be like, oh, my God, I need to win. You know, right. you know I, I, I am old-ish, and uh, I, I need to win. And I'm t- talking big about slams, contending, winning slams, being the greatest of all time. Particularly in the Grand Slams. Yeah. yeah, that uh, is uh, super happy for that. <laughs> Joker, no lie. <laughs> always <laughs> but, talking about slams. Yeah, always talking about slams. So that's why I think he may have been nervous. May have been overlooking him. Looked horrendous in that first set. Yeah. Uh, just was... And also, let me, let's me let just say, what was Cam Norrie doing in that first set? Nothing. He wasn't doing anything. He was putting the ball in the court. Yeah, he was putting um, the ball. He was being aggressive. Like, in the fourth set, was, I think Cam Norrie played... Better in the fourth set that he lost than he did in the first set, actually. Well, I, I mean, w- w- like, how do you define good, right? In the first set, Cam Norrie was – maybe the lack of pace on the ball was choking Djokovic up. I don't know. I'm just saying that. I'm just kind of talking out loud here, but maybe that was the case. Fourth set, like you said, Cam Norrie was playing good. Yeah, he was stri- striking the ball well, hitting the ball a lot harder, but also that gives Djokovic um, more pace to work with, and that sometimes is not going to work in your favor against Djokovic. I would say that Cam Nori, he's a very unorthodox player. Like he, all, all lefties are somewhat unorthodox, but his, his whole backhand, the way he winds up on his forehand, the spins that he puts on the ball, it's, it makes opponents uncomfortable. You know? it, it makes opponents uncomfortable, and his forehand, his backhand is so flat and like no spin on it that it's a really effective shot, I mean, on any surface, to be honest, because getting the ball that low, it's, it's hard for people to come up and put some work on it, do something with it, but especially on the grass where it's going to slide through the court and get even lower. And his forehand RPMs are, are double. I think double his backhand RPM. So that just kind of yeah. gives you it, a sense. People, of- people can't get a rhythm because they're so different shots. Exactly. Novak, one stat from this match, 22 out of 24 of his first serve points on the deuce side came within one foot of um, the service line. So that was super precise. Novak's serving was super precise. And you saw it in the third and fourth set. Cam couldn't couldn't touch a serve. And when when Joker Nola is serving well, it's almost impossible to beat him. Exactly, exactly. Because his return is so damn good. He's in every return game when he's you know most return games. And when he's ser- when he's hitting his spots, his serve is very extremely effective. So that was good. You I was, think of, you know, yeah. Nothing. I was going to go on and talk about like the Nori serve, his lefty serve. What do you think about this whole Joker Nole against the crowd? I don't know if you saw his, like, did you see his reaction? Like, he, like, started yelling. Yeah. yeah. But, like, why is he, is, is, is this something that, because I was really like, okay, this is not some match. Like, you're expecting the British crowd to be against you. I understand if you're in Australia or something and you're playing another player who's not from there, you, why you'd be mad as an all-time great, why the crowd isn't rooting for you, or every time you're playing Federer or Nadal. It seemed like he was just really pissed off that, I don't think the crowd was out of line at all. They were just rooting for a British guy 
Do you think it's something that Joker Nole just manufactures because he plays better when he's like so against something? Or do you think he was actually mad at the crowd? Um, I think it may be in this case a little bit manufactured. And it's something that's like always on his mind. So if there is one instance where a fan <laughs> is doing something that they shouldn't, then yeah. he'll just get super pissed and be like, you know, get really mad and just get have that anger deep inside of him come out. Because it did happen one um, and also, this is like, like, like we said, this is you expect it. You're playing against a British guy at Wimbledon. The crowd is not going to be going for you, and it's fine, Joker. It's just like, dude, come on. It's okay. Uh, it's fine. Uh, just go play your match. But there was one instance where, where people were like yelling out when they shouldn't have that ticked him off, and not something you expect. Like you were talking about Australia or whatever. Not something you expect at Wimbledon. Something you expect at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's all we have to say about the Nori match. I mean, we should we talk about now the what we've all been waiting for the main event. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> the main event of the evening. Nick Kyrgios, Novak, Novak Djokovic. Djokovic. Head it's to head, head to head, two zero, Nick Kyrgios. Head-to-head, 2-0, Nick Kyrgios, both in 2017. I was actually boots on the ground at that Indian Wells match. I was sitting in the nosebleeds. Do you watch Kyrgios Djokovic? Yeah, 2017. He, he beat – Kyrgios also beat Zverev that tournament. Was, um, I, was I there? I, I don't think so. Um, but, so, let's go. Let's set, the ta- let's set the stage here. Novak has now made 32 major finals, the most in history. He's played in 68 major events. So he's almost made, almost made half of the event majors he's played, he's made the final. Kyrgios <laughs> has no major final appearances, but one, one assault, one, 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 no singles, no singles. He has won this one. <laughs> oh, oh okay, wait, sorry, I meant, I meant singles titles. Yeah. He, has, he has a doubles title. This will be his first singles appearance. And also on his books is one, pending assault charge that he will be yeah. facing in court in August. So that's going to be interesting if that affects this match at all. But I don't, I don't think – I think Kyrgios has proven by his demeanor and the way – I was going to put that in the notes, but I just thought that, that we've put to bed. I don't think that this is going to affect him. Yeah, okay, we've put it to bed. I agree. Yeah. Because um, he was – he's been fine. He hasn't – his, his uh, mindset looks the same like, as it did before this news uh, came out. So – Here's something. Kyrgios would be the second player born 1995 or later to win a men's Grand Slam. So no one basically under the age of 26 has won a Grand Slam, except for Medvedev, of course. Team is 28. He's old. Yeah, he's older. He's older. Team is so old. Yep, he's older. Very old. Um, Um, It was just kind of funny when you think about all the next-gen guys, all the former next-gen guys, and everyone who's done it the right way gone about their business, Zverev, Tsitsipas. Um, but I know Nick was talking about how he's just happy to be in the finals and no matter what, this is a great event. But I'm going to say it, it. He needs to win this. He, he needs to win no, this tournament. Why does he need to win it? Because his whole career has been defined on someone who doesn't live up to their potential, doesn't live up to their expectations and if he wins this he will always be remembered in history as a grand slam champion like when you look back at tennis players at least when i do i don't know about you the barometer is did you win a grand slam or did you not win a grand slam and sure there's some players that have great careers like 
David Ferrer, David uh, Nobandian. But in my opinion, he would just be someone who he could transcend the sport if he wins Wimbledon. And if he loses it, there's a lot of people who make Grand Slam finals who you just forget about. Like, we won't forget about him, but think about the difference between, like, Kevin Anderson, Raonic, Nishikori. These guys made Grand Slam finals, but they were their whole career is defined by not being able to get over the hump to win a Grand Slam. Chilish Del Potro, on the other hand, won. You know, they got over that hump. They won that Grand Slam. So, so I think he's at that level where he will be disappointed in his career if he does not win a Grand Slam at this point. And because he's made the final. Yes, because he yes. So you, you think – I don't think he – I mean, needs to win to define his career. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against that because winning a major is a career-defining uh, event. So it's hard to say that's not true. But let's just compare and contrast with Djokovic, who – We don't have to compare and contrast the greatest of all time. But, but who's under more pressure here? I think they're both under an immense amount of pressure. I, I think I think Novak's under more pressure because because he yeah they're both under a lot of pressure. Yeah, who's under more pressure? I would say I would say Novak, but I think we're underestimating how big of a deal this is for Nick's whole career arc. Uh, yeah, it, it, we are underestimating, and I will say before maybe it was in the quarters we we were talking about this not not on the pod but just just like whenever we were talking on the phone or something. And the question was like, does Nick Kyrgios not get nervous? And I was like, I honestly, I think, I don't think he get, he'll get nervous. I don't think semis finals, I don't think he'll get nervous. No, I, I'm going to take that back. I think he may come out, get really nervous, or maybe he's not nervous in the beginning. If he gets up two sets, I think the nerves are going to kick in at some point for him. I think the nerves are going to kick in for Djokovic. Um, more likely at the beginning of the match than towards the end uh, for him. But I think it'll be interesting to see whose nerves kick in when, how that affects the match, um, because that's ultimately possibly something that'll affect the outcome of the match, because it is a major final. It's Kyrgios' first uh, appearance in a singles major final. So it's something that could really affect the match outside of their, their games. Yeah, I, you want you, – you... One thing I'll say is you really forget that Joker Nole is so old. Like, he's 35 now. 36 or 35? 35. 35. So, you know, these losing first sets and stuff, like, we, we talked about it in the U.S. Open when he was losing all those first sets. I think this, the start of this match is going to be just really, really important for both guys. Because, in my opinion, if, Nick, if, if Novak comes out nervous and Nick here is about to able to win one set, I think that if Kyrgios is playing his peak level, I don't think Novak's going to be able to come back. I agree. I totally agree with that. Like, like, if you're, yeah. if you're, like, like that's what I, I was saying in the Nori match. You get that started. Like, you start like you started in the Nori match. Yeah. And, and Kyrgios is playing at not even his best level, just, just a solid, good level. Forget about it. Forget no. about it. Like, you're not – forget about it. You're not going to come back from that. And if – Maybe the nerves will get to Nick, but if not, it'll be a, it'll be a tough task. So I think I think it's it's where where what happens at the start of the match because I don't see Novak coming back from a big deficit like he did against Center, and I don't see Kyrgios coming back from a big deficit either. The reason that I'm the reason I'm nervous for no Joker Nole specifically is because of how big 
Kyrgios' serve is and how hard he is to, to break, how hard it is to break him. As good as Novak's return is, you know, if, if Nick's serve is on, he's basically a serve bot in terms of his serve, level of the serve, like an Opelka kind of, I think he's at that level. But he can do so many other things with his game. Right, like 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 Opelka said, he's not a serve bot because he's interesting to watch. No, I'm saying his serve is at the level. Yeah, of yeah, serve. I know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, and the thing here's the thing about about Novak facing a someone who's a massive server and has is unbelievably talented and great off the ground, great at the net. Really, very few weaknesses is that we know we know that Novak does his homework on these opponents, um, uh, extensive homework and getting to know their games before the match, whether they're opponents he's faced 50 times whether they're opponents he's never faced before and the one thing that you can't defend against that you're like that you can't really sometimes you just have to say it's too good is is the serve you can you can do homework on spots what spots are they hitting um a little bit but, a little, but it's hard when you're bit, but but a return you're not thinking on the return you're doing and even though novak has one of the greatest returns in the history of the sport it's it's reactionary it's it's something that you're just going to see on the day of how that's going to be. So it's something where the homework is not going to Yeah, be. Novak definitely does his homework. But what I was thinking before this match, too, is even with Nick's the other parts of his game, I don't know if there's that much homework that, he that you can do. do on me. He doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. He's going to do half the time before he hits the shot. And usually, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that it usually turns out great when you don't know what you're, you're going to do. And he can do drop shots, he can hit inside-out angles, backhand angles drives, arcs. He has the whole plethora of shots. I don't know. I mean, do you, when you watch Nick Kyrgios' game, do you see any weakness, really? If, assuming he's playing well, of course, but. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, no, I don't see weakness. The only thing that maybe, like, his backhand is, like, steady. It's not a weapon. Like, that's all, that's the only thing I could say. It can be a weapon. Though. It, like it, can, it can be a weapon down the line. You know, yes, it, redirect. It, redirect, yeah. redirect down the line, it's a weapon. But if you're putting him in a position where he can't redirect it, like forehand, I, this is also all, everything I'm saying is relative to Nick Kyrgios. You know what I How mean? Is. Yeah, because he's like insanely talented, one of the most talented players ever. So like hypothetically on the forehand side, you give him any ball on the run, back of the court, normal, just like being right there inside the baseline, he can do almost anything with it at the net do anything with it his finesse is amazing backhand like yeah yes it's a strength like redirect down the line it's going to stay low because he also he kind of like cam nori you know doesn't mm -hmm. there's not a lot of topspin on that backhand uh so it'll stay low but also at the same time it's if he kind of puts it in the middle of the court you would like to think djokovic would want to exploit that maybe backhand on the run because when i see him redirect um off the backhand side, it's off of a like a, a stationary position. It's not when he's on the move. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe moving him moving on the backhand side. Like I, that's all I can think of. I don't even know if that's right. But no, I, I I don't think of anything. I think his movement is amazing as well. I think his, his his forehands on the run are incredible. Honestly, maybe even go a little the opposite of what most people do. Where what Djokovic does usually is actually like running people around the court. I wonder how Nick would feel if you, you just hit the ball, Djokovic hit the ball straight kind of down the middle right at him and flat because then Nick can't create like as many angles. Not not popping it up, of course, but maybe like drives down the middle to, to Nick where sometimes he can get a little caught on his forehand even with his big windup. 
you know, where if you can't get out of the way, that can sometimes be an issue. I also feel like with Joker Nole, you, he never plays someone that can legitimately take the racket out of his hand. And there's undoubtedly going to be times in this match where Nick Kyrgios is just peaking and hitting winners. So I don't know how Novak's going to react to that when that happens because it's a, a situation that he's not used to. I and, think I think it's a situation he'll adapt to. Um, right. I, I mean, I'm sure. Like I'm sure he's played big servers before. Where I mean, I'm not comparing big servers like to no curious, but I'm saying like where where they're just like hitting huge serves, hitting their spots, and there's like very little he can do, and uh, he'll probably take it in his stride. Um, it'll be interesting. This is the first time they've played. They're playing in a grand slam, so the three out of five aspect will be interesting as well. Do you, th- you think that the two meetings previously affects this in any way? Like, do yeah, you think? Because uh, I know that Kyrgios has said in the past that he doesn't consider Djokovic to be the goat. Because if I can beat you twice and you can't beat me, then you're not the goat. Obviously, that's just some gamesmanship. At that time, he was feeling very confident. It was, I think, after he beat him. Yeah. But I tend to say that I-, I think it probably does affect Djokovic a little more than Kyrgios. I don't. I think Kyrgios would probably be confident no matter what. But I think. Novak not ever taking a set off him will affect jo- him coming into the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'll affect Djokovic 100%. I mean, just having that in the back of your mind, even though it yeah. is five years later, just having that in the back of your mind um, is not going to be ideal for Novak. And I kind of – I don't agree with Nick Kyrgios saying Djokovic is not even, should never not even be considered the great of all time. But just in terms of the matchup um, – and how Novak's like we were just talking about what makes him great is not what makes Federer great. It's not what makes Nadal great. And I think what makes him great that consistency um, and the flexibility, movement, anticipation um, is amazing. But it's also something that like his ball is something that Curious can really work with. I feel. With Federer and, and, and Nadal, I think le- their balls, I think it's less for Kyrgios to work with. I think there's more for him to work with, work with with Novak's ball. So That's the thing. That's why I'm wondering, like, if Kyrgios does come out on fire, it could be comes out at, at a level that is just, like, he's kind of been playing a lot of the tournament, does Novak have that extra gear in him? Or will he just go into the, what he usually does is the lockdown Novak mode, which is good enough to beat. 99.9. I don't think, I don't think, yeah, I don't think lockdown Novak. You think he's prepared to open it up a little bit on his forehand, maybe go for more on his serve, maybe take more chances on Kyrgios' second serve? Like, is he prepared to do that? I don't, I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't know, no, but I hope he is because I think he's going to need You think he can do that is what I'm saying? Oh, obviously he can. I mean, uh, we've seen him, we've seen it at, at like various matches where he has done that. I just don't know. He's also the nerves box him into playing in that kind of lockdown mode that beats still 95, 97% of people. Um, but when you're playing against Nick Kyrgios, I don't think that lockdown mode is is the way to go. He's going to have to be aggressive when he can. Um, and if he's going into that lockdown mode and Nick Kyrgios is playing good tennis at a high level re- relative to himself at maybe even his highest level, I think he might hit Novak off. We, we just said that – I think we both agreed that it's more important for Novak to kind of get off to a good start. We don't want Nick uh, – if you're a Novak fan, you don't want Nick Kyrgios getting that momentum and that confidence and winning a set and then kind of to his cocky demeanor. Shout out to Nole question, fam. Yeah, shout out to the Nole fam, of course. My question to you is if, if Djokovic comes out, wins the first set, 
and Kyrgios is uh, maybe a little nervous or just doesn't play well. And then Djokovic goes up to say a break in the second, something like that. Is Nick going to buckle down and fight like we've seen him this tournament? Or is there a chance that he – No, there's no way he implodes. And you don't, you don't, so you don't think that there's going to be like a meltdown? Like you're going to have to – if you're Novak, you're going to have to legitimately beat him. I, I, I think he's going to have to beat him. Like yeah. may, maybe just because Nick lost those two sets, he loses a little confidence and, right. try, and tries his best. And then, but still, just can't do it. But I don't think it's going to be a case where Nick's going to go away. He didn't. He didn't make his way to a major final to to, to give it up that easily and, and to have this the sort of mental breakdowns we've seen in, in in tournaments that don't matter relative to this. You know, like yeah, he's already curious. Has already admitted that he's been he's nervous. He got two hours of sleep a couple nights ago, so we know that they're both going to be nervous coming out. I think that's a guarantee. If he's nervous three days before the match, he'll be nervous walking out on center court. I will, I will say, given that they don't have, like, a ton of matchups against each other, I don't think we're going to be watching. I don't think it's going to be great tennis. The first set or the whole match? I, I mean, definitely the first set, potentially for a longer time until they fit. Maybe, maybe in the second, third set, we'll start seeing something good. But the thing about YRC always, like, the highest level of tennis against Novak and Rafa because they play each other so many times. They know exactly what to expect on the court. Right, and they, they fall into their patterns. Yes, and, and, and here that's not going to be the case. So it'll take a set, maybe two, maybe a set and a half for them to work through that, figure out what to do, get comfortable with their opponent, and then, and then up the level. I honestly wonder what the next, the next gen and the next, next gen are thinking if they watch Nick just walk in here and win a title. You know? they, should just, they should probably think like, we, we suck. They should probably go more the Nick. The Nick. Uh, I, love, I do like the fact that he's done it his own way. You know, he's done it his well, own. Of course, of course. He's never, he's never had a coach. I mean, think about that. This is a guy who's about to win a Grand Slam champ, championship potentially, and he's never had a coach, literally, in his career. Um, he talks in post-match interviews about how he's going to go, you know, have a glass of wine. He talks about how he loves hanging out with his girlfriend, whereas these other players are all just, you know, so disciplined and they're so focused and they're so tight all the time. Um, yeah, maybe Sinner needs to go out, party a little bit, then he'll – then he'll start. Well, Sinner did have a barbecue the other day, so I guess if it's that's as close as he's going to get to having a really good time party. Nice, nice, nice. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, um, but let's talk about quickly the crowd. Can we talk about the crowd? Yeah, I, was gonna, I was literally about to say, like, who are they going to be rooting for here? I, I think it's going to be Novak based on that what happened at the end of his last match when Nick's name was mentioned and the crowd booed. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I would think that if they were going to go against. Nick, it would be after those allegations came out and the Garen match would show that the crowd would be anti-Nick Kyrgios. But at the same time, they've been kind of for him the whole tournament. I think the booing of his name in Novak's post-match interview was the first time that I heard the crowd actively booing Kyrgios. But against Tsitsipas, they were definitely for him. Against Nakashima, they were for him. And against Garen, they were for him. And uh, I don't know, apparently the you know, the domestic assault allegations, I feel like in somewhere like New York would be more detrimental to his uh, appeal to the crowd than for some reason it is in Europe. Nah, I don't know. I think it's going to affect him anywhere. I think that's probably why the crowd is going to be against him, literally because of that. Otherwise, if these allegations didn't come out, everyone in, everyone in, that, everyone in that center court is an informed tennis fan. They'll know about these allegations, and it's going to affect the – they're rooting for for probably I don't know eighty percent of them, uh, so I, I think that's going to be play a big factor, and I think the crowd is going to be on more on Novak's side. And I think if those allegations didn't come out, 
I think they would have literally all been going for Kyrios. I think it's just going to be one of those matches where it's, uh, you know, one of those matches where it, the crowd will switch back and forth. So if Nick wins the first set, I think they're going to start rooting for Novak. If Novak goes up, I think they're going to start pulling for Nick. I think it'll be a relatively uh, 50-50 environment. But I also think that crowds, the reason they do get behind some players is because of how they react to the crowd. And I think that's why they did get behind Kyrgios in the Sitsipas match and in the Nakashima match. Whereas these players who are just vanilla and do the same thing over and over again, it's hard for them to do it. And I think there's some psychology aspect to it where Novak wants the crowd to be for him so much. He talks about it so much that he wants the crowd to be for him that it's one of those things where the crowd, yeah, it's okay. they feel like they're being appealed to too much by Joker Nole sometimes. Yeah, he also, yeah, I just think he appeals in the, he appeals in the wrong way. Like, Kyrgios appeals, like, he'll go talk to the fans, like, yeah. we've seen, like, in the past, like, oh, at, talking to them whether he should serve, like, having some fun interactions with the crowd, which maybe Nadal and Novak, they just don't want to do that because it's not, it's not, like, how they play, you know? And Novak's appeal to the crowd is at the end saying, like, Thank you to the crowd who came out and supported both opponents today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, awesome. But, like, that's not going to win you the crowd, you know? So, so yeah. we'll, we'll see what I happens. I guess the only last question I have for you is, yeah. if this match is two sets all, they're both playing very well, and it goes into a fifth set, they're both playing well. Who? I, I, Djokovic. Djokovic? Yes. Yeah, me too. I, I, I do think he's too big of a favorite, though. He's minus 400. I was, I was about to say, let's talk about the odds. So, yeah, joke, I, think, I think it's a little – the spread is pretty big. So, for context, minus 400 means that the odds makers basically think that Novak will – Nick will only win one in four of matches, 25% chance. So, to you got to put down $400 on Djokovic to win 100. 400 to win 100, and for Kyrgios, it's 100 to win 300. He's plus uh, – 300. Yeah. yeah, I would I don't I don't know who's taking Joker Nole at those odds. I think he should be the favorite, but not that big of a favorite. Yeah, interesting. Interesting line there. But we'll I guess now there's nothing nothing left to do but wait and see. Yeah. Can't wait. I guess the only thing we have is predictions. Predictions? Yep. Oh wow, we're making calls. In wow. set, yeah. You go first. Um, I'm going to go with a just vanilla. I'll say Djokovic in four. Okay. Uh, I... Djokovic in four. I think, I think Novak will pull out a tight first set. And I always – I feel like he's going to rise to the occasion. I know he's been getting nervous. He got nervous in, at the U.S. Open. But I don't think that he's going to come out nervous. I think Nick will come out a little slower. I think Novak's going to take the first set. I think Nick might take the second or third. And then – Novak will win it for. First set, 7-6 to Novak. I, yeah, that's an interesting call. Um, I said that Nick was going to win the tournament when we were in the quarterfinal stage with my prediction. So I'll go with it. I'll say Nick Kyrgios in four sets. Four? Said, yeah, because I said I said if it goes to a fifth, I would assume Djokovic could right. lock down Joker Nole yeah. mode, you know. And he's on the run. Open stance. Well, whoever wins, it's going to be out. Yeah, and whoever loses, it's going to be out. On the line. And, uh, as, as I don't know how many Grand Slam opportunities uh, to win the yes. trophy I will still have. I had so much anxiety, so much. I wasn't ready 
feeling so nervous.